Great to have you tuned in on another Monday. We thought we'd do things a little bit differently this week. As it's the school holidays, we're letting our guests focus on their children. And good luck to everyone that's struggling through the winter of school holidays, keeping kids inside. But we thought we'd go back over the last three months and take some of our best bits, our favourite bits from interviews, and share them with you. Now, the first up is Tapri Hewitt. She's a regular here on the show because we love the fact that she gives really good financial advice. She's a mortgage broker with lots of experience across the country, uh, but she's also very down to earth. So here is some of her top tips that we enjoyed just a month ago. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing property investors these days? Property investors, uh, the biggest challenge I would say is the deposit that's required. Uh, So if you're buying an existing home, you require a 40% deposit. That is about to change. Um, and, you know, most people can't come up with 40% deposit. It is it is really difficult to, uh, you know, if you're in Auckland and you, you're purchasing a house that's, um, you know, $800,000, imagine having 40% of that. that yeah. So that's a massive challenge is, is the deposit. And, of course, the interest rates. So if I switch that question now and I say, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing financial advisors and mortgage brokers Mm. these days? How does that switch? Well, it it is the same thing. So as a financial advisor, we are here to, um, I guess, to help people understand what is required for like your first home in terms of deposits um, and, you know, in terms of your spending as well, affordability, how much you have to earn to enable you to purchase a particular home. So bringing those two things together, you know, we also have to talk to people about their finance, um, their, their finances, how they're spending their money and, uh, you know, cutting back and becoming disciplined and not running up the, you know, the buy now, pay later, the, the credit cards. Uh, and, and it is difficult. Mm. I think we might be talking about that a few times throughout tonight. Yeah. You know, just that, yeah, how we look after our finances. But, you know, that segues nicely into what advice would you give for a first home buyer yeah. in today's current market? Trying to make that first purchase. Trying to make that first purchase. Um, really, it is, you have to... You have to decide that you want to buy a property. I think that's first and foremost. If you if you say yes and you commit to the process, then you have to be all in. So number one is looking at your KiwiSaver contributions. So if you're working, uh, maximise those contributions, um, you know, increase contributions to a maximum of 10% if you can. Mm. Um, and if you can only do 3%, that is that is. That is absolutely fine. So KiwiSaver contributions is a must. Um, Number two is have a budget. Make sure you've got a budget. If you don't know uh, or if you don't have a budget, then how, you know, how do you know how much you're, you're meant to save? Have a goal. Like, goal is, is first and foremost as well. So have your goal, whatever that deposit looks like, then create a budget around that. And also just making sure you're spending, like, 
cut back on the, you know, the going out to dinners, you know, maybe eating at home. Um, I know there is a lot of, uh, you know, places where you can undertake, get credit, easy credit. Uh, there's a lot of clothing out there. I mean, you know, mm. just hold back until you've actually saved your deposit. There was a lot in the media Oh, it was about a year ago of, you know, that banks were even looking at how often you were buying your coffee or getting your yeah. Uber Eats. Is, is it down to that sort of detail? Not not as strict anymore, uh, but it, it really does depend on how much the person, um, you know, what their income is. That is all dependent on, yeah. So, I mean, if they're, they're buying lots of coffees and they can afford it, absolutely. But it's right. when you can't, yeah, when, when we're just, you know, trying to um, make the affordability stack up, that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. Now, you've talked about KiwiSaver a couple of times mm. already. So, yeah. talk us through, if you're a young person listening and, and you know, yes, put, put more in, what's what's the big benefit of KiwiSaver? How does that help you? Yeah, the, the benefit of KiwiSaver is your employer can contributes as well as the government uh, and so if you're in this scheme for a minimum of three years and, and contributing, this uh, deposit can go towards your, um, you can withdraw it at the time you're ready to purchase your first home. So that is the benefit of KiwiSaver. Also, you can't spend it on anything yeah. else but mm-hmm. that. So, you know, um, you don't really have to be disciplined other other than mm. you know, this thing is already ha- happening automatically. Yeah, and if you start that from a young age, it's a good habit and a Imagine, imagine where we'd all be if we'd started it when we were 18 or at our first job. Absolutely. So my son, uh, he's, he's a great example of, uh, you know, as soon as he started. We actually um, joined KiwiSaver when he was, for him, when he was young. And as soon as he started working, I asked him to, uh, to increase his KiwiSaver contributions because... He hasn't earned this, this sort of money before, so if you, you know, if you increase it straight away, then you know you won't miss that money. So mm. that is a, I, I guess, advice to to the young ones. As soon as you start, just increase that KiwiSaver, and I tell you what, and you know, as soon as he finishes university and starts to uh, work full time, then you know he will be in a position where he'll have a really good deposit. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned changes to the deposit. So so what's happening with the LVR that's impacting deposits? You know, how large a deposit does a first-home buyer or an investor need these days? Yeah, so deposits can be anywhere from 5%. Obviously, you've got to fit the criteria. 5% right up to 20%. Not many people have 20% deposit. So the banks are capped as to how much low deposit lending they can provide. Uh, they're capped at around about 10%. So this new um, the, the new changes that are coming into play, it will allow the banks to extend that low deposit lending and, um, and, and obviously it's going to give more opportunities to our um, to our first home buyers to get into get into property. Mm. Nice. Now, we're thinking of first home buyers again. How does Kiwi build? And there was a stage, there was a lot to talk about first home grants that you could apply for. Yes. How do these stack up realistically in the mix? Well, with with the first home buyers grant and the, the Kiwi build is different. So the government have provided, um, you know, particular developments or affordable housing for 
for people to, uh, or for our first home buyers to purchase. Now, you have to fit the criteria, and what I do suggest to our first home buyers is that you go onto the Kainga Order website, uh, that's the old Housing New Zealand, go onto their website, and it spells it out to you. So, for example, for, for Kiwi Build, um, in terms of eligibility, like you have to, if it's joint uh, borrowers, then you have to be earning less than 200000 But if it's first home buyers grant, it's less than 150000 So don't get them mixed up. Um, and what we say is we say, have a look at Kainga Order's website. It is really easy to understand the criteria. Uh, and, yeah. You mentioned joint borrowers. There's been quite a bit of marketing at the moment of, of certain banks doing, um, you know, buy with a friend, an auntie, yes. a relative, uh, uh, you know, your, your best flatmate. Are you noticing that trend happening more and more as single people try and work out their best way to get on this market? Yeah, absolutely. I am absolutely uh, noticing that trend for sure and that, uh, you know, friends are buying together or relatives are buying together. There are some risks to that. Uh, obviously, you need to seek a, you know, um, a independent lawyers and, and make sure that, you know, you both understand mm. each other's <laughs> financial situation because I you know, it's a great way to get into property. I'm a huge advocate of that, but you, you really need to understand what the implications are if you don't, you know, if, if things turn to custody. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. So There's a lot advice. of personal conversations that have to be had as well as financial, I imagine. You know, what if things go wrong for one person in the mix? And yeah. How do they get brought out of the process? No, ab- absolutely. I, I think... This is the one thing that needs to be said is that if you are planning on going into a, a partnership with your with your friend, in my view, you need to understand what their financial situation and commitments mm. are. You know, there is no, oh no, I'll talk about this with my mortgage broker or with the mortgage broker and mm. you can t- have a separate conversation. Yeah. I think full disclosure is, is needed um, so you can both understand each other's financial situation and know whether you are wanting to proceed. Definitely. Um, so walk me through the process. Take your time. I'm a first-time buyer. I've come in, got in touch with you or a mortgage broker. How long is the process? and what do you need me to get ready before I even talk to you? Yeah, sure. The process can take, you know, it can take up to three months wow. from from start to, you know, to purchasing a home. So when you get in touch with us or we get in touch with yourself, I will take around about 10 minutes to pre-qualify um, our potential customers, so pre-qualify, and once they pass that pre-qualification stage, then we start the process of request things like. Um, so actually, it, it is not me that requests it; it is uh, my my uh, relationship manager Deirdre. She will request the the documents. So things like uh, your last three pay slips, uh, bank statements, you know, your ID. So those are the things your deposit proof of deposit. So for our first home buyers you would need to have what you call a KiwiSaver eligibility letter. And this le- this is not just a printout of, you know, how much you have in your KiwiSaver because even though you might have, let's say, 100000 in your KiwiSaver, you've still got to get permission from your provider that you are eligible to withdraw those funds. Mm. So we will refer you back to your... KiwiSaver provider and ask for an eligibility letter. They know exactly what this is uh, and then they will provide that. So that is your proof of deposit. 
Yep, and so any other savings that you have as well. Um, in terms of your, your your bank accounts, the bank generally requests uh, three months of your bank statements. Uh, and yes, and they, they will be scrutinising. Actually, we will be, as your mortgage advisor, scrutinising your bank statements. So if you know this is coming, it's good to start having those good habits, the budgets, everything, before and have a good three-month journey to prove you can manage it? Yeah, not not always. Because or am I you, being too clever? I, I, I think you <laughs> You just need to uh, reach out to your mortgage advisor and go through that pre-qualification right. stage because sometimes you've, you've got people who earn quite a bit of money and they, they might be uh, frivolous with their spending. Mm. But that's okay. It still meets the affordability criteria. Mm. So I would say get in touch with us and, um, and I can pre-qualify them pretty quickly. That's the fabulous uh, Tapri Hewitt from Hewitt Mortgages and I know we've had a few listeners comment that they have contacted her post the show and got fabulous deals so well worth talking to. Now the New Zealand Property Investors Federation have contacted us with their media links for the past week. These are things that have caught their attention and of course the Green Party's got a little bit of a stir happening here because an economist is warning that the Green Party's proposal to introduce rent controls may drive landlords away and leave the rental system worse off. The Green Party is making a play for renters' votes in the upcoming election, pledging to fight for rent controls, a warrant of fitness system and a landlord register. It's promised to cap how much landlords can increase rent every year to a maximum of 3% and that's been the focus of much criticism since the package was announced last Sunday. Infometrics principal economist Brad Olson said while well-intentioned, introducing rent controls could bring unwanted consequences to the rental market. A Wellington property investor says the Green Party's proposal to add a cap on rent prices is a very dangerous idea. Investor Steve Goodley told the AM show on Monday rent controls would reduce the supply of rental properties. It hasn't worked anywhere else in the world and it creates an uncomfortable truth. So it is a user pay system in Aotearoa. Every time we have government controls and interventions, he says it costs the landlords more money to provide real estate to the market. It's the user that ends up paying and that user is the tenants. Now here on Property Matters in a couple of weeks time we are having some election specials so we've invited in each of the key parties to come and chat all about housing, property and investment. So far we have National and ACT Party joining us so we're waiting to see if Greens and Labour join us in the party so look out for that. If you've got a question or a comment you'd like us to raise with our politicians email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. Now for my next best bit from the last three months, it is time to go to our other wonderful friend. It's Jamie James from Jamie James Financial and Insurance. Now she's more than just insurance, but she does a financial road mapping plan. Let's take a listen. Brilliant. I love it. Now talk to me about financial road mapping because this is this is what you specialise in. What is it and why do you see it as so important? I love this. So this um, came about in 2020. So prior to that, we were helping people with insurance. But when 2020 happened, even for myself, I was like, shoot, what if, you know, there is a 20% reduction in salary or, mm. um, you know, what, what's going to happen? And my clients need to, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty and I wanted to be able to help take that fear and uncertainty. And usually that comes from, the feeling of the unknown, you know, so I wanted to be able to transform that into people having clarity and having some confidence around things. So 
think of it like, would you ever get into a car with a driver who is blindfolded and there are no dials on the car, so there is no speedometer, there is no fuel gauge, there's no brake, and there's no seatbelts? No, exactly. (laughs) But what we find is some people are actually driving through life exactly like that, blindfolded with no dials, no seatbelt, no gauge or anything. So what we do with the financial mapping is we give people a visual snapshot of their world, like their world. And we talk about you need plan, you need the strategy and the execution on those things. So think of us, your team, financial advisors, as the GPS of your car, for example. So we give you clarity on where you're at. If if you were to get an Uber or um, you need to get to the grocery store and you put the grocery store into Google Maps, Google Maps will always ask you, well, where are you? We need to understand where yep. you're starting from. And then get clarity on where you want to go. So with the, the capability that we give clients is we can anticipate roadblocks. So we've got their world mapped out of what their income is, what their property portfolio looks like. Um, are there any obstacles that they that they might need to overcome? We start anticipating things that might go wrong. Do you need to adjust the speed, the time, the route? So these are things like debt management, spending plans, what's your cash flow looking like? Does it make sense to maybe reallocate some of your cash flow from here to here? Um, are you optimizing your KiwiSaver? And then how are you managing those risks? How good is your seatbelt? Mm-hmm. So if you end up having a big messy crash, are you and your family and your business and your portfolio going to be okay? So then that's the confidence that mm. clients get. Now they've got a roadmap. Now they've got a support team. They know where they're going. We've mitigated a lot of the risks and you know there are things that we have control on and there are some things that we don't have control on but they know that they've got that support team there so we help them with reviews and if anything does go wrong we facilitate all of those insurance claims as well. So, so how does the process start? If someone comes to you, like, talk us through a client process of a roadmap. How were they, what are they having to pull together so that you can do this? Kind of like same the information as what you would fill out for a mortgage application. So contact details, what's the household income, if you've got a property portfolio, what's the mortgage structure of that, if you've got any KiwiSaver. So we plug that into the financial mapping software and then we start doing due diligence and an analysis on that. So we meet for a first um, uh, initial meeting which is typically over Zoom or Teams and just get a really good understanding of here's the clarity on where you're at but where do you want to be because mm. most often often people aren't necessarily where they want to be but they have an idea of that and with those numbers and I love this because when math meets opinion math wins every time and sometimes the unsaid (laughs) needs to be said so you might have some clients that are like hey I've got this great idea we're thinking about buying another investment property does this make sense so that when we do run the numbers we can often numbers don't lie (laughs) yes this makes sense or "Mm, could be a little bit risky but what you can do is is do these things Um, so I have an example of of financial uh, mapping that might be helpful 
um, just recently we had a client who he's a business owner. The wife is working part-time because she's raising a family. They've got an owner-occupied home and they've got a property portfolio. Now, they were really, they were referred to us because they were really worried and concerned that the interest rates are coming off fixed in a couple of months. Um, and they didn't know how they were going to cope with it um, and whether they needed to sell their properties or not. So what we did is we started the financial mapping and then we always asked the questions, okay, what can go wrong? What am I missing? And what do I need to learn or do? So we ran a different scenario mapping and what came about is I um, talked to the clients about uncorrelated assets. So let's look at, for example, their plans were reliant on two assets that they had. Number one, he's a business owner. So we looked at the risks of the business. And number two, they had property. But the two properties were both concentrated in Auckland. So when we're thinking about uncorrelated assets, I talked to them about a client who had nine rental properties in Christchurch. Then the Christchurch earthquakes happened. Mm. Seven of those properties, even the land couldn't even be remediated. So it was such a risk. It was great that she had a property portfolio, but she concentrated all of her assets and risk into one location, right? Is it possible that Auckland could experience something like that? So part of their plans were that they were thinking, do we need to sell or can we can we buy some other investments? So we talked about with your uncorrelated assets, even with your cash savings, for example, start looking to diversify. So what we did was is that they had X amount of cash savings and we thought, okay, your fixed rates are coming off in a couple of months. Dump some onto your mortgage because the high interest rates. Keep some cash in a check account for your emergency saving funds. That's going to save you on paying mm. extra for insurance. Allocate some into a um, term deposit so then you start earning interest on that. And then potentially talk to your mortgage advisor about offsetting the rest so it's, it's offsetting mm. the interest repayments. Okay, so now you just you just took that cash and you spread it out and you're making it work far better for you. And then talking about the business that he had, um, talking about, okay, so what are the risks in terms of if you or your business partner got sick? What would happen? He said, well, there would be a drop in revenue. Okay, and then what happens? Well, then we'd have to lay off staff. And then what happens? Well, then I've got some liability issues because yeah. <laughs> we won't be able to afford the overheads. Yeah. So then we started talking about insurance and putting that seatbelt on the business because the family generate the income from the business. So mm. we had to protect the business first. And by protecting the business and the revenue then protects the family um, from any liabilities from that. And then we stress test the por- portfolio. So I asked I ask the family, okay, what would happen? This is a great thing to always ask yourself, regardless of whether you, wherever your assets are. If my portfolio, property or cash, stocks, wherever, took a 10, 20, 50% hit, it's a big crash, for nine months in your business and your salary and your household income and your property, What's the impact? Mm. Think about that. And it's not just thinking about what is the financial impact for me. Importantly, what is the emotional impact to you, to your family, to your business, to your staff? 
So stress testing your portfolio, whatever that might be, is always a good thing to do as well. We reviewed the insurance. Obviously, they had old policies that hadn't been reviewed for a very long time, which was why they were referred through to us. Their kids were missing out on free kids cover. And then we talked about securing that seatbelt around the business insurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So diversifying the funds was... um, a big takeaway for them into different uncorrelated assets. So also looking at KiwiSaver because I hadn't started KiwiSaver. Um, and that's the difference of, think about it. So you could go buy an iPhone, invest $1,000, you own an iPhone, great. Or if you invest into stocks, for example, now you can invest $1,000 and you own Apple shares. You own pieces of the company. (laughs) So KiwiSaver, for example, is diversifying into uncorrelated assets, into things, for example, like property, which is all over the world. Okay, so there's less risk and it's diversifying into different equities and things like that. So I had a chat with them about potentially considering um, KiwiSaver as another option. So then my favourite part is, and what the clients were so happy about, is that we financially mapped things out and we looked at reallocating some of their surplus funds and adjusting some of their spending plans. It would cut nine years off their mortgage term and save them paying over $200,000 in interest repayments to the bank. Wow. Yeah, so that's 200k in their pocket and not to the bank. Brilliant. Uh-huh. That's a good advert. Um, so if an investor's listening and they think, okay, I want to go down this journey, should they be chatting to you before they go to a mortgage broker or is this sort of in tandem? Either either. Whatever makes you feel comfortable because the mortgage advisor is probably going to do a similar thing. They're going to look at the household income and let you know whether you can purchase a property yep. or not. What we look at is, is a holistic view in terms of where are you at, where do you want to be? What's some roadblocks or obstacles or things that we can anticipate that might stop you from getting where you are to where you want to be? And we can have a chat about that. That could be about debt reduction, insurances, optimizing your KiwiSaver and things like mm. that. Yeah, so it's quite a, quite a bit more broad what we do. Why do you think it's so important to look at your client's financial journey and not just take them simply through the insurances they need? Why Why have you, and I guess you've kind of answered this with your own story, um, sort of expanded so much into that? So again, numbers don't lie. Um, people might have opinions on how much insurance you should have, but when we do the financial mapping, you can see it. Mm. This is your world. And then it's up to the client to decide, you know what, I'm happy to take some risks. So we always say to clients, our philosophy is that you are not overinsured. So if if you are underinsured, that's okay because during the financial mapping, you might have some cash savings that you're happy to mm. fall back on. Um, we don't know until we go through that. But what we do like to do is bridge the gaps. That's it. That's what your seatbelt is. Shouldn't be anything more than that. Otherwise, you're overinsured. So bridging the gaps, and then we can do that through the financial mapping. Jamie James there from Jamie James Insurance. Absolutely fantastic. And works well with Tapri Hewitt. They work together. You can get your roadmap done to work out whether you're ready for that mortgage and then go and speak to an expert like Hewitt Mortgages to get one. And there's lots of other great providers out there as well. So check them out. And if you know someone, let us know. Property Matters at barfoot.co.nz. Or if you want Jamie or Tapri's contact details, flick us an email. Now, our final best bit today is the branch manager of Barfoot and Thompson 
Mount Albert. So quite a switch from our first two. But I really loved talking to Jean Smith because she has had such a journey in real estate, only with a few branches, but had some great stories to tell. What do you think are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry over well, the time? Yeah, well, interesting. We talked about, you know, I mean, obviously I'm 43 years with Barfoot and Thompson. So in the early days, um, this, this is like prehistoric, um, when you had a vendor in Wellington, say, um, for them to accept an offer, you had to um, read out a telegram that they would send to you, uh, reverse charges, of course, and then you had to go to the office, sit in the office and wait for the phone to ring and it would be New Zealand Post. We've got yeah, a telegram wow. for you. And then you can could be acceptance there. And then we went on to um, uh, um, radio telephone. I mean, Barfoot and Thompson have always been in the forefront of technology. They they've really came. We were probably the first to have radio telephones in our cars. Uh, the salespeople couldn't wait to get into the iPhones. Um, you know, now we've got a fabulous app uh, that one of our directors, Stephen, was part of. And it's, it's probably... If not the best in, in New Zealand, it would be one of the best. And now we're looking at um, AI, aren't we? This is the new thing. So that'll be a new thing for us to, to come across now, you know, to aid salespeople get, you know, doing advertising, helping, you know, maybe uh, salespeople that have got a second language, they can now use AI to, to, to get the, mm. the parts of the property that they want to, you know, put over to um, prospective purchasers. Wow. So it's going to help them tremendously in that field. From telegrams to AI, yes. who would have thought? I mean, there'd yeah. be people listening to this going, now, what was the telegram again? I mean, I, I, rem- I had a brother living in the Cook Islands, yeah. so we used to get the regular, I am fine, stop. Everything is good, stop. You know, and then we'd get these random telegrams through, but, and then the radio telephone in the car, yeah. I love lots that you... Lots of stories, lots of stories about the radio telephone. Yes, yeah. yes, and I imagine because everyone heard those conversations, didn't they? Oh, totally. So, so totally. nothing was private. No. Oh, not. oh, I bet, yeah. bet there's some stories hidden in that yeah. one. Oh, someone, some someone must office. have made a mistake at yeah, some yeah. point, <laughs> <laughs> including me. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, Barfoot and Thompson is a family business, and your son is also a branch manager at a branch that you first started working at at Newland. Did you always know he would follow in your footsteps? Did yeah. he have a passion for real estate? No, he didn't. And oh. my daughter actually, Lisa, sells for the Mount Eden. Oh, oh, so both my children are with Barfoot and Thompson. Um, no, Craig was, um, when he finished university, he went to um, the bank, BNZ, um, and he was there for 15 years. And then I think the global financial crisis came along and, um, you know, the bonuses that they got were, were stopped and there was a glass ceiling for where he went. And right. So he spoke and said, you know what, I think it's time. He was good at selling products and whatever, so he said, maybe it's time now. So... Um, we had a conversation and that's when he went to, to sell for the Mount Eden office uh, and started there and um, he did that for I think about six years I think and then became a relieving manager and then took over my old branch um, I think it's three years now maybe three wow. do you think really about three years years and um, and is doing super well there as well. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give your kids then when they sort of set out on that journey? 
Yeah, just probably to, to get as much knowledge as they can about mm. the areas, about the banking system, uh, to be talking to solicitors, reading the paper. Knowledge is everything. Um, when a vendor or a purchaser needs you to know what's going on, you have to be there, you know. Um, and I used to watch Craig. He would be knocking doors. He would be, you know, attending open homes all over the place. He would be speaking to other companies, agents as well. So they had a broad understanding of what was going on um, and I think that's yeah I think knowledge is probably the biggest thing mm. for any salesperson. Well he obviously didn't put them off so well done. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is, is the toughest part of being a sales agent today? in today's modern world? Well, today especially, it's as tough as anything. It's the toughest I've seen in 43 years. Um, and I think, um, you know, if you look at Barford and Thompson's figure, the April was the lowest number of sales in 22 years. Wow. And they put that out. They never hide anything. They put mm, everything out mm. to the to the public. So it's been particularly tough for the um, sale agent. They're on commission only, um, so it is tough. Um, they've got lots of support. Um, you know, we get support from our support centre. Um, our branch managers don't sell. We we don't compete with our salespeople. We, we're there just to, to help them as much as we can. Right. Um, but it is, it's, it's really tough. Um, you've got investors and you've got um, just property owners. You know, we were talking about this yesterday, Renee, weren't we? About three, you know, chances are that their uh, mortgage rate has gone up 3%. That's a huge mm. amount of money for them um, to do it. So they're either staying put and not putting it on the market um, or the investors are finding it really tough um, to, to the rents that they're getting for their properties to be able to pay their mortgages as well. So that's certainly something completely different at the moment. You know? If someone's thinking of a career in sales, is there a sort of a, oh, this is probably an impossible question, mm. but is there a, a magic number of like how much should they reserve a year's salary before that? they come into it knowing that they've got a safety net to do it well? Yeah, a year's salary would be great. I, I sometimes say that six months yeah. um, is enough, but they have to come in with energy. It can't mm, be a mm. job that, because I've lost one job, oh, I can do real estate. I'll yeah. just try and do that. It's yeah. it, it's not like that at all. You have to be working not long hours, but you've got, to, you've got to gather that knowledge. You can't sit at home and hope that it's all going to come to you. You've actually got to get out there and get it now, whether it's, you know, knocking doors, or, or getting your database up, telling the world that you're mm. in real estate and you'll be able to help them. You've got to be able to, to sort of manage yourself, don't totally. you? Like, like in a, in a, in a, but yep. also in a mental health space, I guess, totally. that you're able to go, I'm going to have 50 knocks back before one's... A yes, and yeah. be able to cope with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was an um, Tom Hopkins was uh, way back in time, um, and when I see the the modern people speakers now, their stories are exactly the same as what Tom Hopkins said. And he used to say that Stephen, like you know, you need ten knocks before you get a plus. And then so when you're making that phone call, instead of thinking, oh no, when you get a rejection, go oh, yes, one down. Nice, I like that. <laughs> and yeah. so you start, one closer to a yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And that was a Tom Hopkins, the American, um, and he was a guru in real estate mm. as well then too with his sayings and comments and whatever as well then too. Yeah, but energy is important. You have to have the energy um, in real estate because mm. that's, you know, it's a, it's a must. What do you think makes a good sales agent, Jean? 
Yeah, again, um, energy is really important and enthusiasm. Um, and I can, I can put that because um, one of our Morris Thompson way back, we've, we've got a, a manual that we work with of you know what we can and can't do and how we should be behaving and they have everything right. But at the very front of that, it's got a, a, this piece that um, every new salesperson looks at and it's, a, it's a, a great little comment about enthusiasm and, and Morris Thompson said that the longer he lived the more he realised that enthusiasm was the, the most important part of a salesperson, whatever they're selling. Yeah. And, and you see that if you go into a shop or you go into a, a restaurant, if somebody's got enthusiasm and they're, you know, they are enthusiastic about what they're doing, it, it comes, the service comes mm. across, the, the um, customer service comes across. So I think that's probably the first thing. Um, as you said earlier, having money put aside yep. um, so that they can not panic about what they need as well um, and to go out seeking that knowledge, uh, getting the right training, um, you know, before you go to a company make sure that they're going to provide you with the, the right training um, you know, and I'm not just saying, I mean, Bassett and Thompson have got a great training situation but there are probably other companies mm. there but it's an important thing to do to make sure that you're getting that support um, along the journey Building so, your networks up too, I guess the more people so. you know, the more people very you engage so. with, the easier your contacts will be Yeah, and, and I've heard from salespeople throughout the years of what for me have said that, you know, they forgot to take their badge off with their mm. name in Barfoot and Thompson and they'd be going through the checkout and a checkout operator would say, oh, you with Barfoot and Thompson? Oh, I'm thinking about selling my house. Yeah. It was amazing. Just the badge yeah, yeah. On, their, on their lapel would, would, would start that conversation. Well, I imagine it's a little bit like that with the cars everywhere as well. <laughs> you know, all the agent cars, you know, you're tuning up, at a, picking up your kid from school and you're, you're branded. I mean, you, I've seen them out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not to be, to be proud of you yeah. know, who you're working for and, um, and, and show off and, and tell your friends and tell your friends to tell their friends and to build up that database. And you're not going to drive everybody nuts but you know once a month there's great information comes out so if you're sending one email a week a month to say this is what's happening in the market you're doing a favor i think to the people that are on that database to know what's happening in the marketplace if they decide to to sell or to buy or to rent um all the information's there for them yeah. And if someone wants to follow in your shoes and work their way up to being a branch manager, what advice would you give someone wanting that career path? He's already an agent now. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, you have to do the exams, so um, that's what you would do. We've also got what we call, now, they didn't have that when I started, but they have what they call sales managers. Um, and some of the offices that are bigger not only have the branch manager, but they have a sales manager too. And that's sort of like a, you know, a step towards becoming a branch manager mm. um, or a relieving manager and uh, learning the ropes by going around different offices, helping when one of the managers are on holiday or sick. Um, so that's a way to go through as well then too but they've got to have I think they've got to have a, a love of real estate they've got to have I have a great passion for legislation I don't know a lot about other laws but I'm pretty well up there for land law um, so you have to have that if you're going to be helping your people mm. then the legislation that's going to affect your business you've got to sit down and, and take that on and ask questions of people if you don't know the answer go and find the answer 
Definitely. Great life lessons there from Jean. And something we always talk about on this show, go and ask the professionals. Massive thanks to Tapari, Jamie and Jean for appearing on Property Matters over the last little while. If you know someone who'd like to come on or you think you know someone who'd be interesting to talk to, dob them in to us. Just send us an email, propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. Now, we've had a note come through from the Real Estate Institute just warning there are a number of property scams appearing in rental listing platforms at the moment where scammers are intimidating, sorry, intimidating, got that word wrong, they're pretending to be uh, landlords by duplicating listings and asking for deposits. So just a reminder, if you are applying for a property, check it out, check out that it's legit. If people are asking for money up front or it's an unusually low rent, it's probably not real. Go into an office, check that it exists and is real. Hey, a massive thank you to everyone for supporting us. We will be back next week with another fabulous show. Uh, Thank you to Barfoot Thompson for supporting us. Lauren and Paul from the team. Lauren's in in here today keeping me company. Matt from Agency X and Adam for editing our episode together. Remember you can email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz especially those questions for the politicians. Have a fabulous week and a wonderful Matariki weekend. We'll catch you on Monday. Good night.